0: This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Here's one of the things that stood out to me in his you have to make God your priority. That, that, without that, there is no purpose. Without God being your priority, that, that's the key factor in purpose. Without God being your priority, you'll be drawn away with the smallest of distractions. You've got to make God your priority. And then God must be your priority, and you must teach that priority, not only in word, but in your actions. It's got to be seen. Otherwise, you're not teaching it all. It's got to be done in your actions. How does one do this? Mr. Rick started in on that. You have to dress and keep. You have to leave. You have to cleave. All of those things are in our purpose, and all these things can be found at the beginning of the book. That's, that's what's so, so amazing to me. He said that the process of leaving and cleaving starts at an early age, not just marriage. There's some things that you have to leave in this world in order to cleave to God and his purpose. Some things that you have to let go of. That's the only way you'll be able to walk in the purpose of the image that God has called us to, so that you can produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn get God's work done in the earth. So my focus on this portion of family life will be to to further, if you will, What the purpose image of the male is, husband, father. So I'm going to direct our teaching today and going forward. And today I'm just going to lay foundations. So we're going to spend some time here. But this teaching is going to be directed at you males. But don't get me wrong, ladies, you can definitely get some things from this teaching. But it's going to be directed at these males. And we're going to endeavor to add on to what's already been said about the purpose of the male regarding the husband and the father, so we can be what God has created us to be. So we're going to start at the beginning of the book again as well. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 7 and 8, and then I'm going to read, jump down and read verse 15 through 24, <clears throat> just so we can see again what the purpose is for the male. And the reason I'm reading verse 7 and 8 here is because it's talking about the man being made. And I want you to see here specifically the man was created first, and we're going to see why. So let's see here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, are we all there? Seven and eight. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Jump down to verse fifteen. And the Lord God took the man, and put him in the garden of Eden, to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him make him and help me for him. And I also want you to note here while I, I'm gonna stop real quick. Remember back in Genesis 1 and 26, it says, Male and female created he them. Or 27, he created he, he and them. So male and female are already created. I want you to understand this, because God has purpose on his mind. And man was formed first. Okay? But God has purpose on his mind. So I don't, want, I don't want the man to get so caught up in I was created first. And We'll, we'll get to it. But verse, what was I, 18? And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother And shall cleave unto his wife And they shall be one flesh So from this passage of scripture We have to see here that God has positioned the male in the family Just He's positioned us as males in the family Just as he's positioned Adam in the garden To dress and to keep it To work it That's the position of the male To dress, to keep, and to work your family See being being created first has nothing to do With being superior Nothing at all would have been superior to the woman. It's all about responsibility and purpose. It has everything to do with what the Creator has positioned you to do. As the male, family is your purpose. Like Minister Rick said before, it's your vocation. The family is your career. Not, not going out there and making the big bucks. The family is your career. And that career is a lifetime of work. The male has specific duties it needs to do. The male needs to cultivate. The male needs to pr- protect the male needs to nurture, needs to attend to his family, needs to preserve, needs to provide for his family, to counsel, to guard the family. And the woman is a help me to him in that. But this is what the male is to do. And there's many misconceptions and stereotypes in the world today of what the image of the male should be. But God has given us the answer. The answer is the gift that keeps on giving. Jesus the Christ. That's the answer that God has given. He indeed is the pattern for every man. However, because of the trouble of the serpent, the, the purpose image of the male has been changed. You know, we've allowed the world to come in and, and skew our vision. But I, I assure you, Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. So, what makes Jesus, the Christ, the pattern for every man? See, all we're doing now is we're going we're gonna to lay a foundation. Because I promise you... We're going to make this real practical for you over the next weeks to come, but we have to lay this foundation. So what I want you to do is to turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29, and also turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 29. Now here's what I'm going to do with these two scriptures, because y'all know me, right? I'm going to read these two scriptures right back to back. And I'm going to tell you this, right, because I've done my study. I'm not changing the scriptures, reading them back to back. As a matter of fact, I'm highlighting these things and making them impactful for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to, I have these scriptures actually typed out so that I don't have to turn back because I'm going to read right into them. Okay, Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 through 29 and just be ready to turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 28 through 29 because I'm just going to keep reading. So we all there? I'll give you a couple more moments. I know it's two scriptures. Galatians 3:26 through 29 and Romans chapter 8 verse 28 through 29. We all there? And it reads, And remember the question I just asked: What makes Jesus Christ the pattern for every man? So we're starting in Galatians chapter three, and it reads, "For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise." And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He has known beforehand, He is also predestined to bear the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn in a, fa- a vast family of brothers. Now, that word firstborn there is amazing to me. And I looked it up in another, another translation of the Bible. That word firstborn came to the eldest in a vast family of brothers. And I had to look at that word eldest or elder. And it says, you know, it's one to be watched and learned from. It's one to be followed. It's a mentor. It's a model, an example. And then interestingly enough, it said it's a father. A patriarch. Well, if you think about it, you think of the eldest brother in your family, the male. That's the patriarch. That's the father of the family. So I told y'all a, a couple of weeks ago that we were going to talk about the everlasting Father. And we're going to get on that today. But what I want you to understand is, I want you to get a picture of what we, what we mean when we say Father. Because we're not talking about the God here. We're not talking about the Trinity. We're not, we're not, Jesus is not stepping into the role of God the Father. But he is your everlasting Father. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made Righteous. That's the Father that we have, the everlasting Father. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Let's just read that real quick. So I want to touch on the everlasting Father. And we're, Remember, we're talking about what makes Jesus the pattern for every man. Isaiah chapter 9, and I'm just going to read verse 6. And if you're not there, don't worry, because I'm already there. And you should already know this by heart, especially since we've been going over it. But for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And I really wanted to focus on that Everlasting Father. And when I looked up Everlasting Father, I had to separate both of those words, Everlasting and Father there. Because I wanted to get a better understanding of myself. Because we want to see, how is the Everlasting Father the pattern for every man? So I had to look it up. And when I looked at those two words, the everlasting father said, it wouldn't change anything if you said he's the father of your, your eternity. Yeah. The everlasting father, the eldest in the family of, the, of, of, of brothers, the father. In the family of Jesus. So let's turn to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endeavor just to, to dive into the everlasting father just a little bit. I really don't have time to go through all of it. But we're going to dive into a little bit and hopefully you have a better understanding so we can see why Jesus is the pattern for every man. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. And I gave you that scripture in Romans when I saw said, by for one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's because Adam is the elder or father of fallen man. But Jesus, our father, he's the elder or father of a new creature. The first fruit. He is the first fruit. He was the first to rise in an immortal body. All for purpose sake. So we're going to look at this everlasting father. And we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 through 17. And I want you to write down a couple of reference scriptures to this as well. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. All of these things undergirds him as our everlasting father. But we're going to read it here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 through 17. And let me get there. I was in Hebrews 9. Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory." Uh, so he just called us the sons. We're his sons right there. He called us the sons of God right there, bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So let me tell you this as well. Everlasting Father is not changed. If you- Here's another way of saying it. The captain of your salvation. He is the everlasting Father. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying I will declare thy, thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, will I sing praises unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I am the children which God had given me. That that verse right there, that's Isaiah eight and eighteen. That's the exact verse that you read in Isaiah eight and eighteen. He's talking about the children that God have given him. He is the eldest, he's the everlasting father. He is the model, he is the one to imitate, he is the pattern. For every man. Let's see, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. You see, so he's the elder of the vast family of brothers because he took on that seed of Abraham too. He took on humanity so that he could he could identify with our suffering, but then he also showed us the pattern to, to deal with that suffering because he is our everlasting father. For verily he took not unto him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. See, it behooved him to put on this flesh so that he could be your everlasting father, so he could be your high priest or your elder or your model or the everlasting father to you. That's why he put on flesh. uh, To redeem us. That's the work of the everlasting father. And so, again, the everlasting father refers to Christ being the founder, if you will, or the originator of his own race. My father taught me like this. He said this word, the progenitor of his own race. An eternal father of a new creature. A holy nation. A royal priesthood. Set apart. He has a whole new order of people. Uh, That's why he's to be your everlasting father. So we're going to look at a couple of things here as well. And I, I said I wasn't going to spend this much time with the Everlasting Father, but we'll lay a foundation and we have some weeks to come. So let's go to Colossians, chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 13 through 20. And there's really one thing. I could spend weeks on this passage of Scripture But there's really one thing that I want you to pull out of it And 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 I'll let you know once we get through reading it So Colossians chapter 1 Verse 13 through 20 And it says Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son In whom we have redemption through his blood Even the forgiveness of sins Who is the image of the invisible God The firstborn of every creature See they're talking about Jesus the Christ right here Who is the image of the invisible God The firstborn of every creature For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who was the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. I, I said that earlier. He was the first to be born into an immortal body, which makes him your everlasting father. The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, that he might be first in all things. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So, interestingly enough here, in Colossians chapter 1, especially that 15 through 20, these are pointing out the characteristics of Christ. This is really what's pointing out what makes him eternal, what makes him your everlasting father, what gives him preeminence, what makes him first in all things. And let me tell you this, before we get into those characteristics, he needs to have preeminence in your life. He needs to be first in all things in your life. Only then will he be your everlasting father. But you need to make him first. He needs to have preeminence. So let's look at these seven characteristics of God. And I said seven characteristics. And there are seven characteristics here in in the scripture. And it's so amazing to me because God doesn't waste anything. Seven is the number of completion and perfection, which is only found in Christ. So here are the seven characteristics. And you can read this again on your time, but I'm going to go through them. Number one is the image of God. What does 15 say? Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. That's number two. What does firstborn denote? It denotes two things of Christ. He preceded the whole of creation... And he's the sovereign over all of creation. He's the everlasting father. Number three, he's the creator of the universe. For by him, verse 16, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Number four, he's the head of the church. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. That's number five. The first, we said that earlier. The firstborn from the The first to be raised in an immortal body. Number six, the fullness of God. He's the fullness of the Godhead. <laughs> I don't have time to get into that right now, but no, this is one of the characteristics of God. And number seven, he's the reconciler of all things. The great reconciler. By Him were we reconciled to God, was peace made. So what is it that we must see about Christ in these in these in this scripture? And like I said it before, it's that He is preeminent in all things. He's everlasting. He's from eternity. And we must have him preeminent in our life. And again, if you make him preeminent in your life, then he's your everlasting father. He's your captain of your salvation. Excuse me. Uh, he can only be your captain of salvation if you continue in the faith, though. I want you to know that. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later, too, probably a couple of weeks from now. But you have to continue in the faith. So, let's turn to Mark chapter 3. And I just want to read one more scripture about everlasting Father and I'm going to move on. Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read 31 through 35. And this just blessed me because this is really just talking about who the family of Jesus is. Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read 31 through 35. And it reads, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him, and the multitude set about him, and they said unto him, "Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee." And he answered them, saying, "Who is my mother, or who or, or my brethren?" And he looked round about on them, which set about him, and said, "Behold my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and sister and mother. See the everlasting father, the elder of the family. He says, those who do the will of my Father, those are the ones He's everlasting. That, that's my family. So if you want, if He's your everlasting Father, then you have to do the will of the, of the Father. That's the pattern that every man must bear. The, the pattern for every man is Jesus Christ. The will of the Father, that's the character. That's the image. Holiness, righteousness, that's the will of the Father. that That's... Minister Rick said this a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday. That's your pattern of service. He said it's all about servitude. That is your pattern of service. And that's the thing about service. Service denotes action. So males who you are as a husband or a father, in Christ, it can only be seen in your actions. Words are futile if there's no action with it. So your service to your family, you know, to dress and to keep your family, can only be seen in your action. Uh, a, lot of, you know, a lot of men today, they think that, well, I'm, I'm real important because God created men first. Success as a male or a husband or a father, it only comes when you realize this one thing. It's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about purpose and service to that purpose it's all about you you know I was thinking about position because you think you know, I was created first it's, it's all about positioning and in my mind came I start thinking of a basketball team right you have different positions including the coach so this is what God did he positioned the male here first and male and female created he them he positioned the female just like a basketball team you have a coach who's positioned here but guess what without the players on the team they can't do a thing you work together just because there's a coach before the team doesn't mean the coach is more important. You've just, been, you've just been positioned as a coach. And you have a responsibility as a coach. Same thing with the father. You've been positioned as a male and you have a responsibility as a male. That's what you have to understand. It's not about, I have superiority. The coach is not, you don't have superiority because you can't get the championship without the team. You just have a certain position you need to play your role. So men nowadays, you know, they mix their position with the world and they think I'm supposed to be tough and hard all the time. You know, I'm a gangster. I had that complex too when I was younger, right? That's not the purpose image of the male. See, that's the trail of the serpent I'm talking about. They think, some males think I have to be silent all the time, I don't speak. We're going to get on that too because it's okay to be silent but there's some time that you need to speak. Some men think I need to be emotionless. Some men say it's not a man thing to cry. And Jesus cried and he's the pattern for every man. Some people think some men think it's all, it's about making that paycheck and providing always working outside the home but you're to dress and keep your family. It did not say dress and keep your job. Listen, Keep a job, (laughs) keep your job, but your purpose is to dress and keep your family. Provision for them is included in that, but there's so much more. When you make your job your purpose, your family will go lacking. Then you have those that say, I don't have to receive counsel, but you're always ready to give it. That means if you're not ready to receive it, but you're ready to give it, then I'm getting bad counsel from you. Because you need to be taught. That's the way... That's how That's how God set it up in the garden. He positioned Adam, gave Adam what he needed to teach Eve. That's the purpose. So you have to be able to accept counsel. Receive counsel. Uh, that's what the life of a believer is. You're receiving counsel from your everlasting Father all the days of your life. So that we can get closer to Him in glory. Some men think that, you know... I don't need to accept help, especially from your help meet. You think you have all the answers, but God gave you a help meet for a reason. That's why I'm about to get ahead of myself. You don't have all the answers. Some men think that we're better than women. Like I said, it's because you were created first. You were formed first. Like I said, it's, that's your position. That's responsibility. It has nothing to do with your superiority. And then nowadays, you have confused men who no longer think that they're men because of the trail of the serpent all off a purpose and families have been raised in this we were on forget the time so we were on uh, I was on Facebook a couple weeks ago and a pastor posted a question about a family and they said we have a foster kid and let's say that they either have a choice of being out in the streets or being in a family with two homosexual parents. Do you approve of that? So I waited and I waited to see the responses from people, and it amazed me. The responses from people, from this pastor, the people of this church, how the children of the serpent has just got in, and they were just like, you know, I'd rather them be in a home where they can thrive and, and be healthy instead of being out in the streets. And I, I held my tongue for a couple because usually he asks these questions and allow people to respond and then he responds to the questions at the end of it all. And he wasn't responding. And then he finally put a response and said, you know, I have a heart for the children and I believe that if God set it up uh, for them to be in a home like that, to get love and help and, and thrive, then it's all good. That's when I had to speak out. That, uh, remember I said there's a time to speak and a time to be silent? When it deals with truth, it's time to speak up. It's time to speak up. And that's when I said, well, so are you telling me there's a lesser of two evils with God? I said, so what, what is your definition of thriving? What is your definition of healthy? I said, because both of those, I, I said, I'd, I'd rather be out in the world in the streets with nobody but God, but then in a home full of nobody but the devil. But see, these are things that have creeped into the pattern of the male, and we think it's okay it's seeped into the church because this is, this is a pastor and this is his congregation and they're all agreeing to it it's seeped into the church and all these attitudes seeping into the church that's why you have a church full of men that don't put their hands to the work that's why you have full homosexual because this came up too full homosexual churches thinking that they're in the purpose of God because it's seeped into the church all men Off of the purpose image. Off of the pattern for every man. The everlasting father. Jesus the Christ. So, this is what I want to tell men who think they can do their own thing and and change the purpose image of God. You don't have any type of special relationship with God because you were created first. It has nothing to do... Being formed first has nothing to do with your relationship. Like I said before, it has everything to do with the intended position. And a side note for you women, don't just look for a man in good relationship or say that they're in good relationship. You know, because many men can say, oh, I'm saved, I'm baptized, I'm filled with the Spirit, but don't have the knowledge of God's purpose. That's a godly man. If you're looking for one... Uh, this is going to be one that's searching after God's purpose. Not just walking around saying I'm saved and doing their own thing. Because remember, the family of Jesus are the ones that do the will of the Father. You can't do your own thing. Being saved means I'm ready for heaven, not necessarily ready for a family. We have to diligently seek after God's purpose for us. Uh, Because remember, this is... If you don't know the purpose of something, abuse, mishandling, misapplication, it's going to happen. And these men who, you know, think that they've got a foot in with God because they were created first, you know, they, they, they expect respect and praise from their families, you know, because they're doing things that they've already been positioned to do, like providing. You start expecting stuff. I'm like, what do you want? For doing what you've been positioned to do, what God has blessed you to do. You want a cookie? What you want? The respect and praise doesn't come by by being arrogant in your house. You know, like I'm the, I'm the, I'm the I bring home the bacon. It doesn't come by being overbearing to your wife, browbeating. It doesn't come that way. All those things are your works. And in Genesis, and in Hebrews, we have to cease from our works. If you don't cease from your own works, when it comes to the family, there's going to be division in the home. Let's turn to Philippians, chapter 2. Because we'll see what happens. Philippians chapter two, and there's going to be some words in this scripture. And and again, we're going to apply this to the family. There's some words in the scripture that we went over before. As a matter of fact, verse, what is it? Philippians two, verse three. I said, yes. It says, let nothing be done with through strife. Y'all remember strife? We went over strife too. That's what I say when I when I say you need to go back over some things and, and connect these things. These are the things you need to go over and listen to. So Philippians chapter two, verse three through eight. And it says, Let nothing be done through strife. That strife is talking about contention, it's talking about argument in your home, it's talking about conflict. Or vainglory. That vainglory is self conceit. We're just talking about arrogance, you know, your works. Let nothing be done with these things, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this this mind be in you, which was also in your everlasting Father. (laughs) Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation. Ooh, see, verse 7 and 8 here, these are key. This is, for you males, this is key. But made of himself no reputation. I'm sorry, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. What do we say it's about males? It's not about you. It's about service to God's purpose. Dressing and keeping your family. And took on him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, like I said, that verse 7 and 8 is so key. What you need to do is you need to empty yourself of who you think you are. In other words, submit. Worship. Bow down who you think you are. Come into purpose. Because it always has been. Humble yourself as the Lord did. Become obedient to the purpose of God. So, man, if you lack respect in your home, check your purpose. Y'all didn't get that. But I want you, the family is in the hands of the man whether you know it or not. So, when I say check your purpose, that means take the beam out of your own eye first. Because a lot, of, let's go to Matthew. Because uh, a lot of people like, you know, when when issues start coming up in their home or there's a lack of respect in your home, we like to push off the blame. We like to blame others. Well, let's see what Jesus says about it. Let's go to, you know, the, the everlasting Father. Let's see what the pattern for every man says about it. Let's go to Matthew chapter seven. Ooh, that time. And we're still laying a the foundation there. Because like I said, we're going to get into some practical. And you might hear some practical things here and there, but we're going to really focus on it in the weeks to come. Matthew chapter 7, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5. And this is the everlasting Father talking himself. Judge not that ye, not be, that ye be not judged. For, what, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why, w- beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, oh, let me, let me put in, that's in thy wife's eye, but considerest not the beam that's in thine own eye. Or how would thou say to thy wife, Let me pull out the mold out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam, the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mold out of thy, thy wife's eye, or thy brother's eye. I didn't change that scripture by saying that. So here's, the first, here's, here's what the male has to see. Because remember, the highest priority is the direction of the home. Remember that. And the the direction of the home is only going where the male is headed. So if you're not pleased with the direction of your home, males, check your priorities first. Start with you, because that's where God's positioned you. Remember, you can position first. You want to be first in something? You want to have priority? Have priority with checking your priorities first. Take the beam out of your eye First. Don't blame your wife. If you have an out of control wife, check your your priorities first. Because you're the head of the home. Uh, The Bible said, turn to Ephesians 5. Because the Bible says that the man should love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Let's go to Ephesians. may not be able to get into this. We're going to try. Ephesians chapter 5. Because remember what we said in the beginning. God gave Adam the commandment and Adam had to teach his wife. So if there's something that's lacking in your home, it hasn't been taught by you. The male. Start with yourself. Verse 25. Husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, this year, I'm, we're going to look at an instance where Christ, well, throughout the whole Bible, you can see Christ has given himself for the church. But I'm going to pull up a specific instance, and I love it here because it actually flows into what we've been learning, the birth, the life, and, and the death of Christ and the resurrection. It flows right into that. So we're going to look at an instance here and see how Christ gave himself for the church. And in the midst of this, we're going to talk about that being silent. I said we're going to get to that a little bit later. We'll learn that here as well. So let's first turn. We're going to turn to two scriptures. Isaiah 53, verse 6 through 8. And we're going to read that first. And then we'll go to Mark chapter 14, verse 53 through 65. So let's get both of those open. And I probably will end with this here. So Isaiah 53. And I'm sorry we're hopping from scripture to scripture. But that's what we came to church to do. So I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. And Mark chapter 14, I said, yes. Mark 14, 53-65. And the reason I went to Mark 14, 53-65 is because all it really is is this Isaiah explained or written out. But there's some things that we need to see in there. So Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read 6-8. And it says, "All we like sheep have gone astray; we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Well, why didn't he open his mouth because he came to redeem the church? He came for you, and he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment." and who shall declare his generation for he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken that, that's giving your life for the church now let's turn over to Mark chapter 14 and we're going to see how he was you know a sheep before his shears a dove he opened out his mouth and let me tell you this he had every right to open his mouth he would open his mouth and if he did it would have been justly so because he was without blame but why didn't he because he loved the church He came for the church. He came to create and establish the church. He came to be your everlasting father. Uh, He always has been. (laughs) So, Mark 14, and I'm going to read 53 through 65. (laughs) And it reads, and this is Jesus before the council. This is them, you know, it's, it's kind of like his, if you will, his court case before they sentence him to death, if you will, before the council. Before, listen, before the very people that he came to die for. That That's love. Verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the place of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death. And found none. See, it's amazing. Like I said, he could have spoke up justly. They are trying to find everything, and they couldn't find none. Let's keep reading here. And they found none. <clears throat> I'm sorry. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple, this that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Answer, is thou nothing? What is it, what is it which these witness against thee? See, it, going back to what I said about being silent, you know, when you, when you come across things or, or run into issues where you're under, under, the fire, under fire, or not even that, let's say you get into an argument or something with your wife or about something minuscule, about something that's not the truth. What did Jesus do? He opened not his mouth. Uh, but he did open his mouth. But when they were speaking all the non-truths, and we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loves the church, I opened not my mouth. All those little bitty things that we can argue about, like the way the toilet paper is rolled, or the way you're putting your, your purse, or where you're doing this, that's, that has nothing to do with truth. But let's see when he opened his mouth. But he held his peace and answered nothing. This is verse 61. And again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus opened his mouth and said, I am. See, men, you know, if you feel like I need to be silent all the time, well, when it has to do with truth, dressing and keeping your family with truth, open your mouth and speak. It's time to speak because your family's at stake. You are to dress and keep them. Uh, And this 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 process, this is part of your leaving in Cleveland too. Speaking of truth, that that needs to happen long before you get into your family. Long before. But if it has nothing to do with truth, if it doesn't matter, if it's not life changing or life affecting, you don't have to. Even if you're justly right, because Christ was. Even if you're right, for the sake of the family, for the sake of peace in your home, because let me tell you about peace and uh, purpose, peace is conducive for purpose. So even if you're not right, if it's going to help peace in your home, you don't have to open your mouth. You don't have to say anything. If it has to do with truth, well, and we'll get into this later, you need to wash your family with the word. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the everlasting Father. Jesus is the pattern for every man. You have to speak up about the truth. And we're going to stop right there. We're out of time. You can be dismissed. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.